Hey guys, my name is Justin Cabot. Um, if you're curious or if you're concerned, no, I'm not sick. This is just how I look. But I'm really excited that you've decided to tune in, or I'm excited that you decided to turn in. But um, if you have a phone, like Trevor said, or if you're near your Bible, open up to Exodus chapter 9. I'll pray and we'll jump in. Jesus, thank you so much for your word. I'm thankful that your spirit doesn't only just dwell in your home, but your spirit dwells in each one of us who calls himself or herself your child. And so I pray today that your spirit would move in us, it would move through us, and I pray today that everyone who tunes in would get so much out of Exodus chapter 9 tonight. It's in your name we pray, amen. Well, let me kind of recap for you where we've been over these last few weeks in case uh, you don't know. We've been looking at what would be considered a world superpower, someone with great military advancements, someone with a very strong arm. Militarily, they're impressive. They have the best weapons technology available at the time. They're honestly a force to be reckoned with. There's not other nations looking to get into a problem with them anytime soon. When you look at their education system, it is the best in the land. The people who go there to be educated and to learn, they are people who grow, they're people who improve, they have libraries full of books. It's a very impressive, it's the best in the world at this time. Economically speaking, they're booming. They're thriving. They're doing super well. When they looked at the forecast for this year, all they could see was up and up and up. There's no down. They are in control. They are, everything is going good. But then a traveler comes from far away and he brings with him an unknown force and all the best military and weapons technology and strategies, all the best education that they, they weren't prepared for this. The economy can do nothing against this unknown force that this traveler has brought in. It's these people who are used to being in control. They're used to having security and all these things that they had counted on have now failed them. And I don't know about you, but man, that kind of feels like where I'm at, where all these things I thought would give me security and give me confidence and give me hope that's going to protect and provide, all of a sudden, those things aren't here anymore. And when we look at Exodus and we look at these plagues and the things they're going through, something I often think is like, well, how can I relate to this? Like, God comes and destroys the Nile and, and well, that, that's God destroying a God. And it's like, well, I don't, I don't get that. This is, this is a pagan polytheistic group. And when I think that, I think primitive people. These are people who worship rivers, they worship cattle, and they worship animals, and we don't do that. But it's kind of struck me over these last few weeks that we kind of do. It just looks a little different. Anything that we put in the place of God in our hearts, well, that becomes our idol. We want to serve that God. We think that that is the thing that will give us security and comfort, and it's going to give us a hope and a future. And if I appease this thing, if I achieve this thing, it'll give me joy and it'll give me peace and, and I'll flourish and I'll do really well. But when that thing gets threatened, well, I end up anxious and I end up depressed, and I end up in fear, and I'm flying off the wall, and I'm uncertain, I'm in a panic. And so as I've been looking through Exodus and these plagues and these things, where I'm going, how am I going to relate to this? I'm finding, wow, I relate to this a whole lot more than I thought I would going 
going through this. And so look at like the Nile River that we looked at a few weeks ago. The Nile River was the Egyptians' way of doing life. This gave them all that they needed for their agricultural system. There were people whose entire jobs were to go get water from the Nile and bring it to another place to provide for people. And in an instant, well, their jobs changed. And people whose jobs were to transport water from one place to another, now the Nile is contaminated and their jobs are to dig along the side of the Nile looking for fresh water. Or maybe it's to dig closer to home to get fresh water. Or maybe they're just straight working at home now where their career, where it was one thing one day, the very next day, fundamentally it's changed. Kind of feels like us. What about frogs and gnats and flies? where you're at home, but it's not a vacation because everything that you used to find in comfort, all of a sudden you can't do. You can't talk to people the same. You're constantly irritated. There's all these little nagging things attached to you everywhere you go, biting and buzzing, and you find yourself saying a whole lot, stop touching him, stop hitting her, stop yelling at your brother, leave them alone. Why does everything stink? You might have said that a lot this week. How about... Today, what we're going to look at is the economy completely crashes as the livestock all die. Egypt's economy. In any civilization prior to the Industrial Revolution, how many cattle you had was directly correlated to how much wealth you had. This is their livelihood. This is stuff that you and I want to take into consideration as this is going to be my security, this is going to be my future, and now it's gone. Or even maybe, we're going to look at today, even your very health. What happens when your very health gets threatened? Any one of these things, whether it be your routine, your career, your comfort, your health, your money, all those things we can easily put in the place of God, just like the Egyptians did. And as we go through Exodus, I think that this time that we're in is super interesting because it's given me perspective on chapters I've never had perspective on before. Before, I read through Exodus in Well, you may read it in five minutes. It took me 10 minutes to sound out some of the words. But as you go through it, it's easy to gloss over things. But when you're actually living in in a time where you can put some perspective on it and actually put yourself in these people's shoes, it's really interesting. And I think we get a lot more out of it. We're in this chapter at a very timely time in our life. So as we go through this, As life has been upset, the things that we thought brought us security and comfort, now that they've been threatened, there's two people that come up in this book of Exodus that I want us to look at, and I think you can end up on either side of the spectrum where these people end up. There's tribulation, there's distress, there's uncertainty, anxiety, everything's going wrong. And on one hand, you have this guy named Moses. Moses in chapter three, in chapter four, God comes to him, says, I got a plan for you. Moses goes, God, I'm the wrong guy. I don't know who you are. I'm insecure. I'm, I'm, un, I'm incapable. I'm the wrong dude. And then in chapter five, he says, God, why did you ever send me? And then in chapter six, he's this mess. And he goes, God, Pharaoh's never going to listen. You need to send someone else. But then by the end of chapter nine, where we're going to be today, he's been completely transformed. He's been transformed He's been someone who now has the confidence to face life. But then through those same circumstances, facing the same things, having met and been confronted by the same God, you have someone who has become hard and jaded and cruel. 
And so today, what I want to look at, and the question I want to ask as we go through, there's a bunch of nuance and amazing things in chapter 9 that I'm going to point out and I want us to talk about. But the question that I've been asking myself and the question I hope to address tonight is, how do I end up a Moses person at the end of chapter 9? How do I move from a Moses chapter 6 person who's in distress, who's in tribulation, who's frustrated, insecure, into a Moses chapter 9 someone? And how do I not become a Pharaoh chapter 9 someone? So let's look in Exodus chapter 9. Here we go, verse 1. Then Yahweh said to Moses, go into Pharaoh and say to him, thus says Yahweh, the God of the Hebrews, let my people go that they may serve me. For if you refuse to let them go and still hold me, hold them, behold, the hand of Yahweh will fall with a very severe plague upon your livestock that are in the field, the horses, the donkeys, the camels, the herds, and the flocks. So here's the whole thing. God is saying, Pharaoh, send my people out. That's the whole thing. If you will just send my people out, if you will just obey me, then this will all be done. And this has been the call throughout the entire book of Exodus so far with all of the plagues. These two things are put in here so that you and I will remember to take the entirety of the plagues as a unit. As we go through, you have to keep in mind that there's a lot of things happening for these people. It doesn't transpire over a short period of time. It's a long period of time. Remember, when the Nile turns to blood, it says seven full days passed after Yahweh struck the Nile. This takes a long time. The people living in, in it are uncertain if this is the last thing, if we're in the middle of things, or if there's many more things to come, and they don't have no idea how much better or worse things are going to be. So it says that first thing, if you still hold them, that's the whole thing, send my people out, let them go. And the second thing is, behold the hand of Yahweh. If you remember, there's these magicians that serve Pharaoh. They're his advisors. They're the people that tell God or tell Pharaoh, you don't need to listen to this God. Look, we can do the things that he does. He's not that impressive. He's not that great. You are greater. You do what you want. Well, there's a time in the third plague with the gnats where they turn to Pharaoh and they go, this is the finger of God. We can't do this. We've never seen something like this. I don't know what to tell you. God says, if that was the finger, you're about to get the fist. This is the whole hand of the Lord. Send my people out that they can serve me. This is what it looks like when you walk away from me, when you don't listen, you don't obey. Verse four. But Yahweh will make a distinction between the livestock of Israel and the livestock of Egypt, so that nothing of all that belongs to the people of Israel shall die. God sets this line. He says, anything that's in the Egyptians' fields, they're going to perish. Anything on the Israelite side, they're not going to feel it. They'll survive. They'll be totally fine. They won't be wiped out. Verse 5 and Yahweh set a time saying, tomorrow Yahweh will do this thing in the land. So now the plague is ramping up. Before, all the plagues were concerning things that God had already created. God is using creation. The Nile River had changed. The frogs and the gnats and the flies have come. This is the first plague that's actually against created things. So now the plagues are ramping up in intensity and God is showing up 
in intensity too. Before, with the frogs, God let Pharaoh set a time. You choose when you want these to go away. Now God shows up and says, I've set a time. This time tomorrow, this thing is going to happen. And verse six, and the next day, Yahweh did this thing. All the livestock of the Egyptians died, but not, not one of the livestock of the people of Israel died. And Pharaoh sent. There it is. We could be done. That's the end of Exodus. That's all we've been looking for. And Pharaoh sent. The Bible puts that there. It's this ironic wordplay because that's what we've been looking for. All we've wanted is for Pharaoh to send. All we want is for Pharaoh to obey. But he doesn't send the right people. Instead, Pharaoh sent, and behold, not one of the livestock of Israel was dead, but the heart of Pharaoh was hardened, and he did not let the people go. He sent, but he didn't send the people of Israel out. He sent a formal investigation to check and make sure the claims of Yahweh were true. He didn't send the people out. He didn't obey. He didn't listen. But it is showing that Pharaoh is now starting to diminish in his confidence, and it's starting to show Pharaoh's going, I don't know, this is strange. I sent people out. All of mine are dead, but the Israelites, their animals are still alive. And there's something I got to explain right here. The Bible says all the livestock, right? But it did say all the livestock in the field, the camel, the donkey, the horses, and the fowl. So this is what I suppose, because there are beasts in the next two plagues that all the beasts in the field, they died. It's not all the beasts in Egypt. It's all the ones in the field died. And so sometimes ranchers have to rotate cattle out. There's too many on this field right now. We're going to pull them out. We're going to send the next group out. I think maybe there were some in storehouses or some in barns, some in a secure place. Regardless, all the ones in the field died. It was drastic. It was a huge hit to the economy. The Egyptians felt it. And now we move to the sixth plague, boils. And the Lord and Yahweh said to Moses and Aaron, take handfuls of soot from the kiln and let Moses throw them in the air in the sight of Pharaoh. It shall become fine dust over all the land of Egypt and become boils breaking out in sores on man and beast throughout all the land of Egypt. So this is the first real demonstration that the Israelites' very health may be at risk. This is the first time that their own personal integrity is in, the, in the, the battle right now. All of a sudden, bad things might happen to us. And to me, it kind of gave me some perspective that sometimes I don't really care unless it's in my own house, unless it's actually bothered me, unless I'm actually been affected. And I think that's true here that there are some people who are, ah, I, don't, I don't have any cattle. I do my own thing. None of that has really bothered me. It's not until it becomes personal or health is in the, the midst of it that we start going, uh-oh, uh-oh. And isn't this interesting that Moses is commanded to take ash out of the oven? Like, couldn't God have just had Moses raise his staff again? And all of a sudden, there's boils on all of the beasts and on all of the people, and it's a burden and an irritation. Couldn't God have done anything else? I think it's super intentional but it seems to you and me like it's unnecessary. Here's what it is. This oven, I think it's the same oven or one of the same ovens that the Israelites would have used to bake bricks. 
that the Israelites got bricks together. They would bake them in this oven so that they would be hard, and then they'd go and build whatever Pharaoh wanted them to build. It was a constant reminder of their shame, of their burden, of that they are brick-building slaves. It was a tool used to oppress them. And God uses the ash out of that, out of the emblem of their shame, to go and inflict the enemy, inflict the enemy with burden and with irritation and with frustration and all these boils and all this pain. And it reminded me of the cross, doesn't it? It's the emblem of sin and shame. It's something that Rome would look at and use as a tool to say, don't follow this man. We shame this man, we spit on this man, we've beat this man, and we've hung him on a cross to remind everyone here, you don't want to be like this sinner, like this awful person. But now we use the cross. Hasn't the cross, the imagery of it been completely transformed from one of sin and one of, of don't follow this man to, hey, I have it in my house, I have it on my car, I have it on my shirt, I have it on a necklace because it represents Jesus followers are here. God is able to take anything in our lives, any imagery, anything that makes us go, man, that has oppressed me, that has broken me. God is able to use that thing that has burdened and hurt you on its head and burdened the enemy. Isn't it true that God can take all things and make them work out for good for those who love God and are called according to his purpose? What man means, man meant for evil, God will use for good for the saving of many lives. Uh, verse 10. So they took suit from the kiln and stood before Pharaoh and Moses threw it in the air and it became boils breaking out in sores on man and beast. And the magicians could not stand before Moses because of the boils for the boils came upon the magicians and upon all upon the magicians and all the Egyptians. There's a tongue twister for you right there. So the magicians, their advisors, they're in Egypt, the medicinal, the magic, the miracles, they were all combined. And so in their minds, and so they thought these were high up dudes. These are powerful men. They can do impressive things. And we've seen some of those things. But when God shows up, they can't even stand before Pharaoh. Moses and, Abra Moses and Aaron, they stand before Pharaoh full of confidence. But the magicians, here's what I think happened. There's this illness going around. The magicians, they showed up to court, and they went, hold, hold up. See, I see Pharaoh. I see Moses and Aaron. There's a few people at court. That's more than 10. I'm out. They're practicing social distancing. They're not doing it. They can't show up. Regardless of why, the magicians, they don't show up. And the rest of the Pentateuch, they're gone. They're unimportant. They have been thought to have been powerful and impressive, but they don't stand at all to the power of Yahweh. Verse 12, but Yahweh hardened the heart of Pharaoh and he did not listen to them as Yahweh had spoken to Moses. So this is the first time that you really see God actively participate in the hardening of Pharaoh's heart. Before God said he would, he knew he was going to, but this is the first time we really see Yahweh hardened the heart of Pharaoh. There's no real getting around it. Here's what I think it is. I think God hardens those who harden themselves. That he, over and over again, said to God, no, I'm not going to follow. I'm not going to obey. I'm not going to listen. Doesn't matter how you've shown yourself up. I'm not going to give over control to you. I'm going to live the life, my life the way I want, regardless of what you've done or what you've said or how you're going to show up. God hardens those 
who hardened himself. And I think God says, have it your way. You're going to get exactly what you wanted. In fact, if you look at Romans chapter 1, verses 18 through 25, we'll have them on the screen for you so you don't have to turn there. I think it talks about this exact same thing. Let me read it for you. Romans chapter 1. For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who by their unrighteousness suppress the truth. Is Moses, sorry, is Pharaoh suppressing the truth? Absolutely. For what could be known about God is plain to them because God has shown it to them for his invisible attributes, namely his eternal power and divine nature have been clearly perceived ever since the creation of the world in the things that have been made so they are without excuse. For although they knew God, they did not honor him as God or give thanks to him, but they became futile in their thinking and their foolish hearts were darkened or hardened or made heavy. They didn't listen. They didn't obey. They didn't turn to God. They didn't look to God as creator. They didn't thank God for all that he did. Instead, they turned inward to themselves and their hearts, their hearts became darkened. Claiming to be wise, they became fools. Is anyone looking at Pharaoh right now and going, this man's a fool? Oh, totally. Everything is falling apart. And the guy who keeps coming in representing a God that he's never heard of before says, this will happen tomorrow. And it happens. Maybe that's God. Totally he's a fool. And exchanged the glory of the immortal God for images resembling mortal man and birds and animals and creeping things, all the things that the Egyptians worship. Therefore, God gave them up to the lusts of their hearts to impurity, to the dishonoring of their bodies among themselves because they exchanged the truth about God for a lie and worshiped and served the creature rather than the creator who is blessed forever. Amen. So guys, what you have is you have Pharaoh who's got all these other things he wants to serve, whether it's life or comfort or it's these animals which represent whatever. He's decided that's what I, where I find my security. That's where I find my hope. That's where I find fulfillment. And every time God shows up and says, nope, it's me. It's me that provides. It's me that gives security. It's me that grants life. Pharaoh says, no. I'm not going to listen. And eventually God says, fine, have it your way. One of the ways that God punishes sin is he allows people to continue in their sin. He allows people to run the logical course to the end of their destruction because people, they can't save themselves from their own sin. They need help to break the pattern of sin that consumes them. And if God withholds the help to pull them out from that pattern, then they will be fixed in that pattern just like Pharaoh is. And the effects of that sin are going to increase and the harmfulness to their lives is going to continue to show up until finally they die to those sins. And on that same coin, where the very worst thing that can happen sometimes is that you get exactly what you want, God says, fine, go for it. Isn't it also true that sometimes the best stuff can happen from things that you would have never asked? Like if your comfort or your career or your finances, or your way of doing life wasn't threatened or changed, would you have ever really cried out to God in the way that you are right now? Would you have ever really come close to him in the way that you are, seeking him in the way that you are? I don't know. Sometimes I think 
The things we never asked for, we would never have wanted, it's in those things where we find real life. We find real truth and we see what things have we elevated that we need to put back in their place and put God back in his place. Verse 13, then Yahweh said to Moses, rise up early in the morning and present yourself before Pharaoh and say to him, thus says Yahweh, the God of the Hebrews, let my people go that they may serve me. For this time, I will send all my plagues on you yourself and on your servants and your people so that you may know there is none like me in all the earth. When you're looking at the plagues and you're going through all the stories, what I do in my life is I, whenever I get done with something or I get done with the day, I like to ask myself, was that effective? Was what I did, did it produce the result I wanted? Did it come out and I would say, yeah, that worked. And then also, was it efficient? Was that a really good use of my time? Did it, in a timely way, get the effect that I was hoping for and progress in the way I was hoping? Was it efficient? Was it effective? And as I'm looking through the plague narrative of the Bible, we're now seven plagues in over a span of a long time. If the purpose for God is to get his people out of Egypt to Mount Sinai to worship him so that they would know that he is their God, they are his people, he's going to walk with them, talk with them, it's going to be a renewed life. If that's God's purpose, this really doesn't seem very efficient. It really doesn't seem very effective. It doesn't look like it's working. And I heard Timothy Keller one time when he's talking about the plagues say something similar, that if he were God... Well, why wouldn't you just have Moses come in with his staff, look at all of Pharaoh's court, and zap them with the staff and turn them all into horses? And then point at Pharaoh and say, you're next unless you obey. Or if you're going to go that route, why wouldn't you have Moses come in and snap his fingers? And now all the people who were Israelites in Egypt, they just disappear. And they end up at the base of Mount Sinai, and they're able to meet with God and worship God and talk with God. But if you're going to go there... Why wouldn't you just have God, who we're shown in the very introduction to the book, can speak entire worlds into motions? Why wouldn't God just speak and change their circumstances? I think it's because the purpose isn't just that God would get the Israelites out, but it's so that you may know that there is none like me in all the earth. What God is doing here is he's not just interested in setting the Israelites free that all would know that life is only found by drawing near to Yahweh. It's like when you look at the magicians, they can only counterfeit what God does. With the water, God turns the Nile into blood. So what do they do? They go and they grab a pitcher and you would think they'd grab a pitcher full of blood and turn it to water, but no, they grab a pitcher that's full of water and they turn it into blood. And then with the frogs, they somehow make them appear. And what about the staff? Aaron throws down the staff on the ground. It becomes a serpent. So the the magicians do the same thing, and God's swallows theirs up. The magicians, they can only counterfeit what God does. And every idol, everything in our heads, all it is, is a cheap counterfeit. It never is as good as what God offers. All the things that we think are going to give us hope and a future and security and prosperity and joy and peace, all of those things, if it's other than God, it's going to be a counterfeit. And it's not going to be as good. And when those things fail, you find yourself in chaos. 
and in death and things are going wrong and you're all over the place. But God, he brings order to that chaos. Our God brings hope when there's hopeless situations, there's people going insane. Our God brings life instead of death. And in verse 15, he says, for by now, I could have put out my hand and struck you and your people with pestilence and you would have been cut off from the earth. God comes to Pharaoh and says, you're not really an obstacle for me. If I wanted you out of the picture, you would be out of the picture. If I decided that you and all your people would be gone, that you would be gone. But for this purpose, I have raised you up. I put you here, Pharaoh. I decided you would be here. It's not by your status or your heritage or what you achieved or any event that you did in your life. I put you here. God, I believe, desires Pharaoh to repent and obey him, even right now. Because God desires that no man should perish, but Pharaoh, he still chooses death instead of life. And in verse 17, you are still exalting yourself against my people and will not let them go. Behold, this time tomorrow, I will cause very heavy hail to fall, such as never been in Egypt from the day it was founded until now. Now, therefore, send, get your livestock and all that you have in the field into safe shelter for every man and beast that is in the field and is not brought home will die when the hail falls on them. Do you see right here, even God right now is still showing mercy? God comes to Pharaoh and says, I'm going to do this. Hail and storm and bad things are coming. So go and tell the people who are in the field to get their animals out, to get their people out. God still shows mercy even here with Pharaoh. And here's what's so crazy. In verse 20, then whoever feared the word of the Lord among the servants of Pharaoh hurried his slaves and his livestock into the houses. But whoever did not pay attention to the word of Yahweh left his slaves and his livestock in the field. Isn't that insane? That there are people who still don't believe that when Moses says tomorrow, hail, fire, it's going to be crazy, a bad storm, everything out in that field is going to die. People go, yeah, I don't think so. No, I don't see it happening. Some people, no matter what, evidence they're provided, no matter the people they meet, no matter what they hear, no matter what they, what they experience, some people will just never listen. Some people will just never believe. Verse 22, then Yahweh said to Moses, stretch out your hand toward heaven so that there may be hail in all the land of Egypt on man and beast and every plant of the field in the land of Egypt. Then Moses stretched out his staff towards heaven and Yahweh sent thunder and hail and fire ran down to the earth and Yahweh rained hail upon the land of Egypt. There was hail and fire flashing continually in the midst of the hail, very heavy hail, such as has never been seen in the land of Egypt since it became a nation. The hail struck down everything that was in the field and in all the land of Egypt, both man and beast, and the hail struck down every plant of the field and broke every tree of the field. Only in the land of Goshen, where the people of Israel were, was there no hail. So there's this crazy storm. 
right? Outside, there's giant things of hail falling from the sky. This morning or this afternoon, when I pulled up to the office, there was actually hail falling. It was like pebble-sized though. I wasn't concerned for my life, but it was falling like crazy. And if I desperately didn't want to get hit by hail, there was no way to avoid it. Hail was falling. Here it is. This is like semi-trucks falling from the sky. That's what's happening. It is killing animals. It's killing people. Think about the force that has to occur for it to break every tree of the field. Think about the force that has to happen to destroy a tree. It's crazy destruction. And then just this last point, there's some subtle irony in this chapter that I get a lot of joy out of. Like, you got the hand, you have Pharaoh's scent, you have getting the ash out of the oven. But right here, you have every plant being destroyed and every tree of the field being shattered and fragmented. And I was just thinking about the oven idea. I was also thinking about chapter five. Pharaoh says, since you want to go worship this God and you've got all this time on your hands, I'm going to take away all of your straw. I'm going to take away half of your ingredients and you're going to figure out how to bake bricks without them. And I just feel like right here, God is saying, oh, you want to take straw from my people? Well, don't worry. I'm going to give you more organic matter that has no other use other than to be used as straw or burned in the fire. It's its only purpose from now on. You want to take from my people? No problem. You could have as much as you want. You could have more than you could ever handle. It's fun. Then verse 27. Then Pharaoh sent and called to Moses and Aaron and said to them, this time I have sinned. This time? This time we're seven plagues in. This time you've sinned? This time you recognize? Okay, that's fine. Hey, that's fine. You want to repent? Good to go. This time I have sinned. Yahweh is in the right. And I and my people are in the wrong Plead with Yahweh, for there has been enough of God's thunder and hail. I will let you go, and you shall stay no longer. This is Pharaoh's false confession. This is Pharaoh coming and saying, it's like this. There was a cartoon a long time ago where the dad comes inside. Everything is going wrong outside, whether it's hail, whether it's fire, whatever it is. And he kneels down in his bed, and he goes, okay, God, take it away. Lord, the things I do wrong, I won't do anymore. Lord, the lifestyle that I know is wrong, I'm not going to follow that anymore. God, I will show up every Sunday on time. I'll be the first person there. I'll even be the person that passes the basket. I'll stop stealing out of the basket. And God, I'll, I'll, I'll serve at the food place, whatever you want to do. And before he finishes the next thing, his son comes in and goes, hey, dad, it's all gone. It's fixed. And the dad stands up and says, I didn't say amen. It doesn't count. Ooh, scot free. That's this kind of prayer where he's saying, God, I don't like my circumstances. Will you come and change my circumstances? I'll give stuff up. I'll give stuff away. I'll change what I'm doing. I'll change my lifestyle. I'll send the people out. But then God doesn't really care about you offering things up or sacrificing things. Pharaoh's prayer is that his circumstances would change, but he's got no interest in a heart change. And so there's this psalm. It's Psalm 51, 16 through 17. Here's what it says. For you, speaking of the Lord, do not delight in sacrifice, or I'd give it. God doesn't want you to give stuff up. God's not looking for you to come and give him all these things. God's not looking for you to give the right thing for him to love you. You will not be pleased with a burnt offering. The sacrifices of God are a broken spirit, 
a broken and contrite heart. Oh God, you will not despise. God's not interested so much in Pharaoh just setting the people free. God is interested in a change of heart. And so this is what happens. This is Moses' brilliant response. Moses said to him, as soon as I have gone out of the city, I will stretch out my hands to Yahweh. The thunder will cease and there will be no more hail so that you may know that the earth is Yahweh's. But as for you and your servants, I know that you do not yet fear Yahweh God. What happened with Moses? Because Moses, the last time he's talking with Pharaoh, the last time we really see some dialogue, he compromises what God told him to say. God tells him, hey, go to Pharaoh, tell him, let my people go. You can throw down the serpents, whatever you got to do. And Pharaoh go, Moses goes in there and goes, hey, just for a short while, will you let us go out just a little bit and worship our God? And we're going to do our thing. He is terrified of Pharaoh. It doesn't go well. And he's looking at God going, God, he's never going to listen to me. Now, Pharaoh is pleading to him. And Moses looks at him and says, you're a liar. You don't fear God yet. You don't actually know. Who is this guy? He's just fundamentally changed his character and who he is. We'll talk about that in a second, but look at verse 31. The flax and the barley were struck down, for the barley was in the ear and the flax was in bud. But the wheat and the emmer were not struck down, for they are late in coming up. This is put in here, not just that you and I could get a timeline of how things are progressing, ultimately ending in Passover. This is put in here, I think, as another little reminder that God is still showing mercy. That if Pharaoh did choose to listen and to obey and to allow Yahweh to be God, well, there's still provision for the Egyptians. They still got a hope. They still got a future. God will still provide and they will have a path forward. But here's what happens. Verse 33, so Moses went out of the city from Pharaoh and stretched out his hands to Yahweh and the thunder and the hail ceased and the rain no longer pounded or poured upon the earth. But when Pharaoh saw that the rain and the hail and the thunder had ceased, he sinned yet again and hardened his heart, he and his servants. So the heart of Pharaoh was hardened, and he did not let the people of Israel go, just as Yahweh had spoken to Moses. So in the midst of all of this, here's the picture you get of Moses. Outside, semi-trucks of hail are falling, Big craters, I just see like, like a movie, action movie is what it looks like. There's fire, there's stuff falling, it's chaos, there's this huge storm. And Pharaoh, Moses, has changed from someone who throws a staff on the ground and it becomes a snake, running and hiding from it. Now Moses is someone who walks out in the midst of that storm. These things are crushing into trees, destroying and fragmenting and splintering trees. And he walks out into the middle of the field where everything else has died, and he lifts up his hands to God and talks to God. And then you have Pharaoh, who in the midst of all this chaos and all of this frustration and all of this stuff, he's unmade. And he becomes more cruel. And he becomes more hard. You have Moses, who in the midst of tribulation and anxiety, ends up being completely confident. And so what, happens, what happened with Moses? What changed? What went, happened in between chapter 6 and chapter 9 that leads Moses to, in the midst of the same storm everyone is experiencing, for him to act completely different than anyone else? I think you see it starting in chapter 7. 
where it says, they did just as Yahweh commanded them. Just as Yahweh commanded. They did as God said. And then every other time, whether it's chapter eight or chapter nine, when God tells Moses to do something, Moses does it exactly. He becomes obedient. And through that obedience, well, Moses is transformed. All of a sudden, Moses has the confidence that he needed to face life. All of a sudden, he has the confidence that he needed to stand before the enemy, not even just full, no longer full of fear, but full of confidence and go, you're a liar. You're not speaking truth. These things that you're saying are not true. He's able to face the enemy, the scariest person that he could ever face and go, yeah, you don't actually fear God who is in control. And you have someone who goes through the same experience, the same tribulation, the same stuff, and he's made hard, he's made bitter, and he's a burden for his community. And so there's two things. I'm going to wrap up real quick. Two things that I know and I want us to see is that if we are obedient, we can become these people like Moses. We can be transformed into this Moses-type person in the midst of a crazy storm. Where, but obedience looks different right now. Where right now, we don't get to do the same things we normally did. And so how does God want me to be obedient? Probably not by walking out in this storm. That's not probably the way to be obedient. But a few easy ways to be obedient is you're with your spouse and you're with your kids, how about encouraging one another to love and good works? Or how about this? We as a generation, as a people, we are now more connected. Even when isolated in our homes, we are more connected to people all over the world than we've ever been in history. Maybe the way we can be obedient to God is just encouraging one another to love and good works again. You just encourage people, text people, hey man, I'm thinking about you. Hey, I miss you. Hey, I hope things are going good. Hey, I know that you're elderly or you're older, you may be compromised. Can I go shopping for you? Loving people, encouraging people, whatever God has put in front of you, <clears throat> be obedient to those things. Don't become a hardened person where you're going, ah, oh, my finances, all oh, the economy, all the educated people are supposed to look out for us, all oh, the military, all this stuff. Don't become hardened and bittered and jaded and a burden on your community, a burden on your family. Be transformed like a Moses person who's uplifting, who's able to show the light and the life of Jesus through his life. And that is the final point, is that obedience is super important and it can transform you into this kind of person where you go into life with confidence. But obedience does not save you. And if you go into this believing that obedience will save you, well, it's gonna become an idol and it's gonna fail you. And this thing that should lead to good stuff is going to leave you in chaos and in destruction because you'll say, well, bad stuff still happened to me, but I was obedient. Here's what the Bible tells us, that your and my obedience is not enough to save us, that all of our good stuff is like filthy rags and that you and I never had a chance to save ourselves. And the Bible tells us that Jesus came, he lived a perfectly obedient life to the Father. He lived a life that should lead only to life, and you and I have led lives that lead only to death. And the Bible tells us this, that on the cross, Jesus trades your disobedience for his obedience. The Bible trades your chaos for his order. 
The Bible trades the death that we have earned for the life that he earned. And he takes our death and now we have life. That is salvation. That's how you're saved, by believing in Jesus. And if you believe in Jesus, the Bible tells us you will have the power to obey him. You'll have the power now to move forward and encourage your family and your spouse. You'll have the power to forgive people that otherwise you couldn't forgive. You'll have the power to move forward and become someone like Moses and not someone like Pharaoh. So guys, let's pray. And I hope this day, I hope this week, you find yourself being transformed more and more, not so much to look like Moses, but to look more and more like Jesus. Here we go. Let's pray. Jesus, I thank you so much for your goodness. I thank you so much that you are God, that you are the one who provides life, that in you is the fullness of joy, that you're the God of all hope. And apart from you, Lord, there's only counterfeits. There's counterfeits that don't last and they leave us in chaos. And I'm so thankful that you are able to take chaos and make from it order. So please, God, let us see that order in the midst of chaos and anxiety and hard times even today. It's in your name we pray. Amen. God bless you guys.